Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, just a quick reminder, the Other People podcast is offered freely. More than 500 episodes and counting, all available free of charge. You can listen online at otherppl.com. You can listen via iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can stream the show on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. Everything's free. There's another people app. That too is free. So if you like this program and you would like to support it, you can do so at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Your support makes a difference. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Okay. Thank you. All right. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. It was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host. Brad Just one person and just everybody. How is it going? Welcome to the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy in Los Angeles. Thank you for tuning in. Lauren Grodstein is back on the program for a second time. She was here to uh, talk with me, to hang out a little bit. Her latest novel is called Our Short History. It's available now from Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. So uh, Lauren is delightful. I don't know if you guys have ever met her. Have you ever met her? If you, if you haven't, I recommend it. She's just a really good person, funny, engaging. She came over here in a uh, sleep-deprived state. She was out here, I believe, on spring break with her kids, and they had flown you know, uh, all the way across the country from New Jersey, and they were jet-lagged. I think she'd probably slept a couple of hours. She came over. She was game. She drank some coffee, and she uh, gutted it out, and we had a good time. So that's coming up momentarily. Speaking of sleep deprivation. And I don't mean to harp on this, but, uh, you know, I have an issue with, uh, waking up in the middle of the night, which I'm pretty sure you guys have heard about before where, you know, I pop awake at like four o'clock in the morning, can't go back to sleep. That's my issue. I can fall asleep. No problem. But I wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep. So I just lie there and I think about things and that's not very fun. I believe uh, actually Lauren and I talked about this when she was here. I can't remember if it was before we went on the air or if it's in the episode, but I do remember talking with her about this very thing. So, uh, you know, there, there are obviously, uh, solutions out there. There's a uh, melatonin with which I'm uh, intimately familiar. There are the, uh, prescription strength sleep aids like, uh, Lunesta and Ambien, 
which I also have taken before and enjoy greatly. The problem is I, I, I am conceptually opposed to taking corporate pharmaceutical sleep aids on a regular basis. Like I just, I'm inherently suspicious of it. I don't want to be one of those people who needs to take a drug. Like what's, what's this all leading to? Eventually I'll be on propofol. I'm going to die in my sleep. I'm going to have a doctor on call. You know what I'm talking about? So I've been thinking this over. It just gets so frustrating to, you know, to go to bed so tired and then to wake up like four hours later in the middle of the night. And you're like, Oh God, it's like anxiety inducing. So I'm like, you know, I got to try something. And uh, cannabinoids seem like a more benign solution than regular intake of Ambien. So I, uh, and they're also legal in the state of California now. And there's something called CBD, which I was not aware of, but which uh, my millennial friends have explained to me. Where, you know, it doesn't have THC in it. It's different. It's not psychoactive. You don't get, you know, all weird and paranoid. And you don't have like laughing attacks that you can't control in public. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm too old for that. But I was thinking like, wow, so you just get CBD. It sort of relaxes you without like the head trip. And maybe this would help me sleep without making me feel stupid, which I think pot often does. I wish that it didn't. I wish I could be one of these elegant people who just can, uh, you know, uh, metabolize this without a problem. But for whatever reason, at this uh, advanced stage that I find myself at, my neurochemistry is not friendly. So anyway, I went to a, a, a weed shop and I got some uh, CBD thinking to myself, like, well, this could be it. Maybe this is the, the magic bullet. And I took some and I wound up sleeping okay. I guess I slept better than I normally did, but, or I, I normally do, but I woke up and I just felt stupid. And like, you know, like my son was up, it was like 6.30 in the morning. I go into his uh, bedroom, I take him out of the crib. I like, he's all wet. He's like, you know, he's wet. So I'm like, oh, I got to change his diaper. So I, I take him out of his uh, onesie and I change him and put him into some clothes. I bring him back into uh, the bedroom and, you know, I start to like, I'm just like, I just needed some coffee and like, I'll, you know, get some caffeine in my system and hopefully I can like shake off this, like these cobwebs that I feel. And then, uh, my wife, Carrie takes, uh, our daughter, that was Twiggy. I just heard her, uh, shaking, but our, you know, my wife, Carrie takes our daughter to school. She brings my son river along for the ride. And uh, then she comes home just as I'm walking out and she's like, you know, did you not put a diaper on this kid? And I'm like, Oh my God, did I not? And I didn't. And he had, <laughs> so he had like peed, uh, while they were on the drive and it was like all over his, I, I put for the first time ever with either of my kids, I put clothes on uh, a two year old child without putting a diaper on. So the point is that I cannot handle this stuff. Like that's not like me. And I have a very low tolerance for that kind of uh, error. It's also a little bit freaky. It's like, is this, uh, am, I, am I senile? What is going on here? So I'm talking with a friend of mine and she's like, look, you know, this might not be your thing. And I'm like, I think that's, that's probably the case. I feel like I failed somehow. But then I also feel inherently suspicious like the, of these people who seems to metabolize like isn't this the case for everybody is it making isn't it making everybody a little stupid is it really like a cognitive enhancer for some people that's the question i have going around in my mind like what's the truth
I guess the truth might be different for different people. For me, it, it leads to, uh, you know, early onset uh, senility, embarrassing behavior. And it was CBD. It wasn't psychoactive. I just wanted to go to sleep. I just wanted to sleep through the night. So I'll figure it out. I don't know. I think, I think what I got to do is I just got to get up at 5 a.m. every day, no matter what, and just get into a rhythm where I'm just so fucking tired that I just collapse. Like sleep is no problem. Because you can get to that point where you're just, you're running yourself so ragged that when you finally do lie down, you're out. That seems to be the only solution. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Lauren Grodstein is my guest. Her novel, Our Short History, available now from Algonquin Books. Uh, such a delight to meet her in person for the first time. The first time we spoke on this podcast uh, was over the transom, but this time it was uh, the two of us sitting here in my garage. Great conversation. Very pleased to share it with you. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lauren Grodstein. It was a dark place to go, although it was a. F- this sounds. It was a fun book to write. I think because um, I liked her so much, um, and and she really felt external from you. Very much so. Yeah, okay. she didn't. She. I mean, we share certain qualities, but but she was not me. Um, and because the book was animated by writing the book was animated by how much I I just keep your eyes in a permanently rolled position as I say this, but like, I, I just, I adore my son. I love him. I think he's just the coolest person. And I really wanted to write about that feeling of just being sort of helplessly in love with someone. Right. And that's a fun feeling to kind of live in. Yeah. And the book is a little bit about her illness, but it's also a lot about this, this more universal. Okay. The book's a lot about her illness, but it's also about this universal thing that his parents, that I seem to keep writing about, and I'm not sure why, which is just that 
that we have to let them go. We have to let them go. They have to go live their own lives. They have to, to do the things they want to do. And whether or not we let them go simply by their very fact of growing up and they move on and make their own choices or because we have to leave them too soon, they're going to go be their own people, Right. which is preposterous. How can they be their own people? You, you did everything for them. You, <laughs> they, you actually dealt with their feces. It's disgusting what you did. And then they're just going to go. Yeah. Right. And then there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, now you can go, right. but you have to come back. And one day he's going to go and not come back. And I think I wrote this book around the time we started thinking about having another kid. And I think I was just really aware. He was like four or five when I started it, that that's an age where they just start walking away from you and they, they're going to come back, but they come back less and less. Yeah. So that there were moments suddenly, like my husband would be at work, he'd be playing Legos or something. And I'd be like, Hey, do you want food? And he'd be like, no. Hey, do you want to talk to me? No. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter does that to me. She'll just be like, Hey dad. And I'll be like, Hey, and I'll be like, how's your day? Fine. Right. Do you want to, uh, hang out? No, it's okay. And you're just like, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) I made you. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, so she's seven. Your son's nine. So like, you're halfway there. I'm halfway there. That's like what I thought the other day. I was like, oh my God, she's going to be nine. And then she's going to be halfway there. And nine is like, what it seems like a snap. Yeah. And so the next nine are going to be like a snap. Then she's going to be gone. And then it's going to be, and then, you know, and then it's over. Yeah. And then you're in a home and then the polar bear. I mean, and and then then it's over. (laughs) It's a dark future. It's pretty, it's pretty bleak. Let's face it. And responsibly, they really shouldn't have children. So it's not like you'll have grand grandchildren in for consolation (laughs) because they can see what's happening. I know. One thing I am encouraged by is the, you know, and it's, it's, it's so pathetic that we're at the point where this is where things have to um, happen. Uh, and this is where we have to take our cues, but like these kids Teenagers, at Parkland, I know. uh, boy, like it's impressive to see. But like, yes. Also, of course, how fucking terrible can we be for how long before the kids are just like going to raise their middle fingers at all of us Yeah, right? as they should be. Yeah. We are ruining everything. And I say this as a person who like gives money to the right causes and votes the right way. But like, what have we done here? Yeah. That these poor kids have no future for, they can't afford college, they uh, might get shot in school, and then they probably shouldn't have children of their own because we've ruined the earth to the point where that really probably isn't so smart. Who's to blame? So um, Marilyn Robinson just wrote an essay book collection that that is a lot of, you know, she touches on a lot of the themes that she writes about in her fiction, but there's one essay in there where it's just about how mad she is her mom got destroyed by Fox News. And it's the best essay. Because it's just like all these thoughtful people who look at their parents who have become Fox News zombies in the way that your toddler became like an Elmo zombie. Right. And you sort of can't believe it. But when I try to be so, – so I married a, I married up. I married a much nicer, just a better person than I am. And he you. knew what he was getting, so it's fine. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it. Um, so, I, so he would say, and I try to listen, that you, you really have to take people from where they're coming from and that – for a lot of people, America was a certain way. Consumption was a certain way. Consumption was marketed to them, right? In a, in a certain almost force-fed stuff was like force-fed to them to create this big American juggernaut. White men were powerful. Women stayed home. Boys were boys. Girls were girls. And to ask people towards the end of their lives to sort of do the massive 
adjustment it would take is is not impossible or unfair, but it is asking an awful lot. And so to meet people where they are might not change anything, but it makes you less frustrated if you try to understand where a generation came from. Now, I feel like I am constantly trying to stretch the way I think about the world. It's not that hard. So why can't people in their 60s and 70s? How do you remain flexible of mind and uh, strong of spirit and open of heart as you get older? Because I, I refuse to accept, and I, I and the reason I refuse to accept it is because there are people I know people yeah, sure. who I'm, get into their old age who are completely live minded and open hearted and like they're they're flexible, sure. you know. And so it's like I want to make sure I'm like that as yeah. opposed to like set in my ways and cranky and scared. Well, so I've been set in my ways and cranky and scared. So <laughs> I mean, that's that's like my bumper sticker. <laughs> I, so I think a lot, I think you probably do. I mean, first of all, you talk to people. That's part of your job, and you yeah. read a lot. And I think that reading is um, so crucial. Reading fiction is so crucial to sort of a, being a lively. I, I doubt that any of the people that you know who are older, who are who are thoughtful and and purposeful, are not also readers. I, I think that that the ability to to enter someone else's life through fiction is just a, crucial because it allows us to imagine other people and imagine other people's lives and, and take a break from ourselves. Oh, like, right. If you're not sick of yourself, then something's wrong. like you should want to leave yourself sometimes. Yeah. Um, and sick of the way that your own brain works and the stupid habits that, you know, um, and then for me, I'm lucky because I work with students and my students come from all over the place. Where do you they, teach? I teach at Rutgers. Oh, right. So I direct a creative writing program at Rutgers. So creative writing students are all the same in some ways. Like they're all demented and want to be writers, but they're very different too, especially at a place like Rutgers, which is a state school. So we get people, you know, who have lots of really diverse backgrounds and, um, and that might be true at other places as well. But for us, our students come from everywhere. They have done all sorts of things. In my career, I've had a student who worked, who would come to, to class late. Um, she was an undergrad. She was older than I was at the time. She'd come to class late all the time. I couldn't figure out what was going on. It turned out she was driving from Atlantic City where she worked all night as a uh, croupier. Is that how you ever say that? And yeah. then, and had to pick up her kid who'd sleep at her mom's house. That's no excuse. Take the kid. Right. That's what I said. <laughs> Obviously I failed her. Um, so, right. So like, I, I think that, that just, I mean, one of the things about Fox news that I don't think is true about more sort of mainstream media sources is that you're just listening to the same people all the time. It's the diet of the same and the same and the same. So if all you're doing is having what you already expect reinforced to you, it's unlikely you're going to stay sort of open-hearted. And, to and, and just the, the toxicity of it. Yeah, and the cruelty. And the tox it's, it's, it's like a toxic poison that you're ingesting over and over and over again. So it's not just like, I feel like it's not uh, something that you get once and it's like this little effect and then it goes away and then you get it again and it's this little effect and then it goes away. I think it builds. Sure. And so over time, like, I don't even know how you would measure this stuff, but it's, it's clearly having like a seriously, well, it, it makes people afraid. Yeah. Right. I mean, one thing that I always just assume whenever I, I know this woman doesn't listen to this podcast. So I'll just tell the story that I decided a few years ago that I should be a class mom. This turns out this was not a great match for my skill set, but I <laughs> thought, how could I go through my son's childhood and not have made sock puppets for everyone in his <laughs> class? So the mo so there are two other class moms. We meet at one of the class moms' houses, which is very large, with 
spiral staircases and like ornate oil paintings of her children in rococo <laughs> frames and and we gather around the kitchen table with our socks and, and we're making socks snowmen for this particular right and uh this was around the time and and you probably maybe remember, I don't know if this got as much play on the West Coast because people don't go to Florida as much. But where we live, Florida is is like another it's, you know, it's you go to Florida the way you go to the grocery store. It's just part. It's what you do in the winter. So anyway, what happens at Disney World is a big deal. And and for people who live in New Jersey. And so a two year old was snatched by an alligator at Disney World a few years ago. Oh, I remember that. It was that big. Like that lake at a hotel yeah, the hotel property. Right. Yeah. Big deal. Ugh, what a nightmare. Very bad. Very bad. We can all agree. Very bad. And so one of the sock uh, making sock puppet making class mom says, well, this is, I mean, you know, no one wants to hear it, but this is why you got to carry. And I, I didn't quite know. Cause like carry a weapon. Right. So carry as a verb to me means, you know what I mean? Like, like, did I remember the diaper? So I'm just like, but... and the other class mom is like, yeah. And then I realized that they mean carry a gun. This is why you should be fucking armed at Disney World so you can shoot the alligator, <laughs> right? That's that has your toddler in its jaws as it's thrashing about in the dark lake. That yeah. is why you want to start shooting madly. That's why you should carry. But I realized that not only was this hilarious and stupid and might I might pay me dividends in the form of a story I could tell for the rest of my life, but right. also that there's this fear thing, right? That we feel like the whole world is like alligators coming to get us out of a lake or coming to snatch our children. So we better be prepared. We better have guns. Whenever I meet someone who is rationally afraid, I assume that they are conservative and watch fake news. I don't lock my car doors for two reasons. One, I really don't think anyone wants what's in my shitty car. And two, I don't care. You have it. Take it. You want it. Take it. Like, right. I, I just, my stuff isn't that important. I, I talk, I talk about this with my wife because she will be like, lock the car. And I'll be like, what? For what? I'm sorry. What? I don't yeah. Statistically, what are the odds? First of all, I mean, like, really, like you have like a one in 5,000 chance of somebody who's going to that day at that moment, at that place, at that time, going to come by and try to break into your car. Secondly, it's like half-eaten bags right. of cheese crackers. Right. Enjoy. If Enjoy. you can get through the smell, yeah. take it. Yeah, it's right. yours. My kid has like vomited in right. here like 10 times. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm not a huge... I mean, I, you know, I do right. lock That our... wet spot, yes, it is pee. Like, <laughs> it is. You know? Have at it, please. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not really all that concerned about locking my car doors. I do lock my doors at night to my house because I have kids. Like, I yeah, live in a, it would I live be, in a city. I live right, in a city. Right. You're not crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't want to be stabbed to death, but I also don't feel like it's likely. And so... And I don't want to live in fear. Like, do you remember in uh, Bowling for Columbine? Was that the one where like Michael Moore goes to Canada and just starts like walking into people's houses? Because in Canada, they don't lock their doors. No. And he starts like on camera. The only he, one I ever saw was the one where he goes to Cuba and he stands outside and says, can we have some medical care? And the oh, Cubans right. were like, sicko, sure. Sicko. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, but it's sort of like that. He's like going to another country to like show people like, hey, you know, in Canada. Right. Where they have actually relatively lax gun laws, but like not insane. Like people aren't right. buying like Uzis and stuff. <laughs> like out of each other's like, <laughs> like trunks. You know? But they don't like that. There's just not, there's not as much of a fear culture. And I think that the fear culture, and this is what you were saying just a minute ago, is like really tied to the media that we ingest. Like, why are we so afraid in America? I don't, because there's money to be made is all I can think. I mean, people are watching this stuff. I mean, I guess I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm watching MSNBC or... And there's you know. a fear, right? There's a fear culture there too. I mean, when John Bolton was... um whatever he was and appointed 
tapped to be head of nukes. You know, I mean, there was there was a, a sort of left wing freak out about, and I, I had to calm myself down actually by reading some red state just to remind myself that not everyone sees the world the way that I do, and that just because this mustachioed lunatic, <laughs> at least as he's portrayed by the yeah. stuff I watch, was put in charge, that can't possibly mean that we are inches away from nuclear war. You know, it's like it's crazy because Trump used to bash him. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, he thought like he, Trump used to, it was like, uh, constantly on the news talking about what a disaster the Iraq war was right, and blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, that's all Bolden. So I'm, mean, or at least like, at least it's as if Trump even knows. Yeah. It's a, it's just the Trump thing I think is, is so amazing. Should we talk about it? Or should we not even talk about Trump? A little bit. Okay. Well, like, 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 like three minutes. Yeah. I, I've, I've one kind of thing to say about Trump and then the rest of it you've heard before. So <laughs> I'll just say the one thing, which is that I think it had to happen. I think that if Hillary had won, it would be a, a nightmare. If you can remember, well, of course you can. You know, the Republican Party, for whatever reason, has just been sort of going off the rails for a long time. And I, I'm not a sociologist. I don't quite understand why, but it has been. And it's become the sort of um, redoubt. Is that how you say that word? Redoubt of people, I think, who are afraid and who want things to be the way they always were and who find uh, people like you and me sort of oppressive. And okay. So, so those people would have had Hillary won, which I was so certain that she did that. I baked a cake for the party that <sighs> night. We were so f- stoked. Yeah. I brought my kids in that voting booth. Like <laughs> I had you a know? party in here. I actually called it and I feel somewhat prescient in hindsight for the fact that I did this. I called it the, what was it called? The, the election night suicide party. I made invitations and it was like this joke where I was like, we're all going to commit suicide. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like I thought about it. It was adults. At like 4am. I was like, maybe this, maybe it's time to just (laughs) dose the juice. (laughs) So, but no, we, we people just standing around here and I knew very early that it was going to happen. Like as soon as Pennsylvania started to go sideways, I just like sank down and then everyone was like, what? Cause like people were in celebratory mode. Oh, all day. But no, but they were in celebratory mode, like for like they were hanging on. There were people no, in this room. No, would, no, no, no. And once it Michigan pe- was looking dicey, and like I was just like, guys, like, I was like, guys, it's 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 not. It's no bueno. It's no bueno. And they were like, what? There's still Florida, and I was like, no, no. don't you got to do the yeah. So, anyhow, uh, you were saying. My sister-in-law. This is not what I was saying, but my, my sister-in-law. They lived in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. My sister-in-law is a. You know, medical professional, white white woman, for what it's worth. It's worth a lot, I think, because she went. She They moved apartments a few weeks before the election. She went. They made her show an ID before she voted, which I don't even know if you need. I mean, in New Jersey, you don't need to. But And her apartment didn't match. The new number, I guess, didn't match what was ever registered. Not not the building. They were in the same building, the apartment number, and they wouldn't let her vote. That's Scott And she Walker. was like, yeah, well, that guy's a my brother saw him on an airplane once and he was berating as stewardess. It's not cool. So then anyone who's mean to stewardesses or waitress. Well, okay. So then <laughs> my sister-in-law was like, well, fuck this, went home, got her passport, which doesn't have an address on it, went back, used that as ID. They didn't ask her anything and she voted. What do you think about the persistence, the, the availability of the passport, right? I mean, the, the fact that we make voting the privilege of the very few in this country is one of the many shames that I, I don't think gets nearly enough attention and which is, which is, which is wilting our democracy. Yeah. It's a very simple thing. Like it should be easy to vote. Uh, right. And they make it hard. Right. Just making it on a Tuesday. Right. Put it on a Saturday. Of course. Let people have a day off of work. Of course. Make it a national holiday. 
have everyone registered. Yeah. Just allow people to register. Like when you get your driver's license or whatever, you, right. like it automatically registers right. you. Every if I can donate my corneas just by click ticking a box, right? right you should right. Really vote. <laughs> um, so let's talk about how many books in are you? Four? <laughs> Five, five different five books. How's it going for you? Like, is it getting better? Is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? Both. The writing is easier. The, the environment's harder. Uh, Our short history, which is, I think, a really lovely book. It's just, it's just a good book. It's, it's both readable, and I think it's, it's, it's moving, and also, it's well written. Let's just pretend I didn't write it. It's it's well written. <laughs> like the the dialogue sounds like things people say. Yeah. The internal motivation of the character makes her seem like she was a person who might have lived, right? right? Like she's a person. And so many books that I read, published books, well respected books, do not accomplish these. Like you know, they don't check those basic boxes. Like are these things things real people would do? Are these things real people would say? And often the answer to those questions in in a lot of fiction can be no and then i can't keep reading all that said our short history which is a lovely book came out uh two months after trump was elected and it turns out that a lot of people who would perhaps want to read literary fiction written by mid you know sort of mid-list female author were not necessarily in the mood about it for a book about ovarian cancer to the point where a bookseller said to me now how am i going to sell this and i was like oh come on <laughs> so it's possible that i'm just writing the wrong books <laughs> But, but, you, but you can't game it out. Like, that's the no. thing. Like, you write the book that you, you have, have to, to write, write. And then sometimes. It and nobody knows up, why. And, and nobody no one knows, knows why. why. And yeah. to try to predict it is ridiculous. Um, I think I've, yeah, I'm a better writer than I was. And I started out pretty good. Um, I'm. I have also, for better and for worse, created a life that is about a lot more than writing. And sometimes I wish, I wonder what it would have been like had I not, you know, if you could have just been like an art monster, like yeah. all in on art. Yeah, man. Yeah. I couldn't have, because that's not what I wanted. Me too. But like, what would that have been like? I know. If I was just like in it and I was like writing reviews and like blogging and shit and like going to parties and like, and your books are like your children. Yeah, and I care about them so much. And I fucking tweet about them instead of Instagramming, you know, like my daughter picking her nose. I'm like Instagramming book covers or like things people say about me. Yeah. What's well, an and it's a, it's a distribution of energy. You know, like I notice that in people, like writers who are all in. Uh, what do child. we do with those? Like, how do they get that way? And like, how how do they have the chutzpah to stay that way? Well, some of them, some people just have no no interest in kids. Other people, well, sure. it just didn't happen. Yeah, they might have had interest, but then it didn't happen, and then they just accepted it. And they're like, now I'm going to just be all about art, whatever the case may be. But like, some people have kids, and they're still all about it. Maybe, yeah. Some they just ignore their children. Yeah, bless. <laughs> I don't know how to. You know, I I find myself to be one of those people who can't stop doing different shit. I'm always like this. And then the kids, and then I'm writing a book, but then I have, you know, a job have hopefully a job. soon. Yeah. And then I'm also interested in, uh, you know, all sorts of different stuff. Right. And I keep saying yes. And then I'm like, God, I'm so fucking busy. I just want to slow down. No, you don't. And I don't though, no. I guess. I don't know what it is. And then, you know, but if I, you did, you would, you don't, I say yes all the time. I love saying yes. It's, yeah. it's better than saying no. Well, and I like, I, like when people ask me to go do things, uh, which doesn't actually happen a ton, but I mean, like someone says to me like, Oh, you want to go? If I say no, I agonize internally. Cause I'm like, what? I like, Hey, like they asked, like, that's so nice. Mm -hmm. like, somebody wants to hang out I know, with me. I know. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like, if I say no, like, what am I missing out on? 
And then if I say yes, it's like, what about my kid? You know, it's just, it, I feel like in my, in my brain sometimes it'd be like, what would life be like if I just lived in the country in a small, simple place? like a windswept field. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> that place. That place. Would I be miserable? Yes. Yeah, you, I would. Of course. I'd, I'd just be like, what the fuck Because you spend the rest of your life wishing that you'd had your kids and that you'd, you know, you you wouldn't have done all this. No, no, they would be with me, but we would just have oh, no. no neighbors. Oh, we just all you'd be trapped with your fucking kids all day? <laughs> no. No. Child no. of nature. No. There's no such thing. We'd go to the, we'd wash they would be on the their stream. iPads all the time yeah. and you would, you would like, you know, try not to have iPads and you find them like punching rocks or something like, no, yeah. there's no perfect no in life. No, there's just life. And you just try to make it a good one. And it took me until I turned maybe 38 or 39, which is too old for this sort of thing to realize that, you know, that my life was the thing that I was living and not the thing I was getting ready for. And so since making that realization, <laughs> I've just tried. Well, congrats on making it. Thanks. That sounds like a good one. It I was good. Have that one. It was good. It was good. <laughs> Uh, I just started spending all my money right away. Right <laughs> uh, it was, it was, uh, kind of liberating, like to, to realize that I made these choices to live what, the life I was currently living, right? Like I wanted to get married. I really wanted to get married. Sometimes I wanted to get married enough so that sometimes I'll have a nightmare that I forgot to get married. And then I, I realized like, I'm sort of like less cute than I was. And like, it might be harder now. And that's <laughs> fucked up. Or I wanted to have my kids. I wanted to have my kids so badly that yeah, me too. I put everything into having my kids. And now that I have them, I really love them. And I like being with them more than I would like schlepping to New York. I'm weird at parties. So like, I don't want to go to a party. I'm not good. Where was I the other night? Oh, I went to this political fundraiser Mm -hmm. trying to like engage. You should engage. engage. I'm glad I went. I had a good time, but it's like, I'm also like in a room with lots of people. Yeah. And my Very God, I'm good in conversation. I do a podcast. Look at you. (laughs) Look at you. But one-on-one. Or like a very small group. Are you super weird? Do you say weird shit? I do, but I'm also like, I get like physically tired in, in rooms full of lots of people. Like I just find it's like on a sensory level, almost like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I also find that like, I can't have this kind of conversation very easily in a large group. And I don't like other kinds of conversation. Right. I like to talk to people Right. that where it's like meaningful and there's something actual, uh, there's an actual like exchange happening. Otherwise, it just feels like everyone's talking through some sort of screen and it's just like small talk and just drives me nuts. I can't do it. Well, so I'm, I'm bad at it. And so it ends up happening. I will say to people and they tend not to believe me, but unless it's this environment yeah. or someone I know really well and love or a large group, I love talking to large groups because I just have to, I do the talking and I don't have to pretend to be like engaged in the subjects that many you women mean like giving a speech. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll do a lecture. I'll give a reading. It's no problem. If I have to talk about the relative merits, it's not cause I'm so deep. It's just cause I, I was never raised to care about the stuff like the relative merits of home decor or like the stuff, or even your, your, my kids or your kids. Like I'm not, I'm interested in my kid as a person, but like this, their, their schooling or that they or like where they're taking gymnastics oh and shit. God. I don't care. Yeah. And I can't pretend. And so parties, I end up saying weird shit because despite myself, I'm trying to, I take it to this deeper place that nobody wants to go yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it this party the other night? And I said to this woman who I know and I like, and there was no reason. And she was saying something that's sort of like knee jerk, self-deprecating about the way she looks because women my age have to do that. And it's the worst. And like, so, and she's adorable and there's no reason for it. And she was talking about how handsome her husband is. And she's like, well, clearly I married up. And so I said to her, which is true. I said, you know, the first time I met you, I thought you're really, you're quite 
pretty and you sort of seem like you don't know that about yourself, but you should know that you're quite pretty. And the room got weird immediately because it's like, <laughs> am I hitting on her? Am I right? Like, yeah. am I doing some sort of psych- psychological eval? Why would I say that? And she was like, thanks. And then because all she really wanted to talk about was the fact that her husband's hot and then we can move on. Right. Like, yeah. And instead, I have to make it weird. I'm always making it weird. People <laughs> think I'm going to be fun and cool to hang out with. For 12 minutes, I am. And on minute 13, I'm going to say something <laughs> fucked up about you or weird or just I'm going to take it to like, like the polar bears. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta take it I to the don't have a lot of friends. I'm the, same <laughs> way. I'm the same way. Like I sort of marvel at people who have uh, like total socialies and seem to remember everybody's name Ugh. and know everybody yeah. in town. And yeah. it's just like, holy And seem sh-. to really like them. And just, yeah, I mean, just yeah. like, and always on, just like constantly. Mm-hmm. And like, I know maybe people listening would be like, well, wait, you're like always, you know, I'm relatively on when I'm talking to people right. at this show. But let's face it, you're going to go up there and you're going to rock back and forth for an hour. <laughs> when I, yeah, I, if I'm talking to somebody one-on-one and I feel like we're both really there for it and we're like being real with each other, I'm fine. Yeah. It's just when, like, especially in the context of, uh, like my friend Mira's mom, um, she was actually the interviewer. Her name's Laura. She was the interview that I did when I pretended to interview Michiko Kakatani for the April Fool's Day episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she used to say, hell is other people, or hell is other parents. Yeah. Like the Sartre quote, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, and, sure. and uh I find that socializing in the context of school shit and other parents <laughs> and all that stuff, yeah. I just I start to close in. There are some wonderful, lovely people that we've met. Of course. But some of them you're just like Okay. And then I think I also have these insecurities where like, I mean, it's in LA. And so you're like surrounded by these people. Like you talked about that house with the spiral staircases and the oil painting. And you're just like, Oh God. You know, like, <laughs> I start to get like break out in the hives. And I think people who have young children or who have had young children who are listening can probably relate. It's hard because you're sort of thrown into the mix with these other people by virtue of the fact that the kids are at school together and are friends, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good match. No, or that you would have anything to talk about besides those kids. And so the conversation devolves to those kids. And then what is there to say? I try to, and I try to just do those conversations. Like if they'll say something about their kid, I'll just say, my, my kid doesn't have those problems. <laughs> or, well, you know, since my, my son's really, really bright. So I just, I don't know. Right. Or, or I don't just, know. Uh, have you what that must be like? Have you considered you? the polar bears? By any <laughs> right. Let's just talk about them, <laughs> or they'll talk about. So, so certain conversations that are very popular that I can't get in on are um, food allergies, subhead, uh, gluten, or toxins. I can't. Yeah. Um, and those are there are a lot of. Probably not. I assume that it started here, right? Yeah, this is like grounds here. It started like on this block, right? <laughs> Detoxifying your children. Yeah. Um, I feel like more gluten for everyone. Everyone should be force fed bread three times a day. My God. Uh, and then I, I also, I can't really, uh, get into the conversations particularly about your, your, your child's relationship with the teacher and what the teacher has done to your child and vice versa. There's also a very specific thing where I live that the teacher might be what is keeping your child from, Uh. right? So we have to, we have to sort of talk about your your child and this this adult who knows your child does. anyway i start tuning out and then i start saying the weird shit and then people leave but i also feel like it's fine because they don't want to hang out with me and i don't want right hang out with them. right and so it's, it's like fine. you gotta maybe just like there's if, if you can have like a go-to that tends to make people close down and walk away I, that's yeah, not right. like personally offensive no well in mine might be it's just like my son is so smart so i don't worry <laughs> 
my son is so good looking that it's hard for me to relate to what you're talking about. Everyone likes my son so much that I'm sorry your your child's having a problem with that teacher, but I don't know what I am, that's like. I am perhaps too disengaged <laughs> from my child's schooling. Like my daughter goes to school. Do you have to send your kids to private school in LA? I, you, well, we do. You but do. It's like I'm like that bothers. How are me. you eating? Barely. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's like ramen in private school, right? But it's like yeah, but it's like whoa, what are the alternatives? I don't. And, I really. I I don't know because in New Jersey, uh, a house like this, a nice, if I may talk about your home, yeah, um, a lovely home uh, on a nice block, you. In a, in a, you know, your property taxes, and maybe they are here too. I don't know, but in New Jersey, with twenty six to twenty eight thousand dollars a year, yeah. which is for many middle class. I mean, you have to leave New Jersey at a certain point. It's brutal. So there's a huge, there's a huge flight happening from, from, the coast, here, right. from Los Angeles and from San Francisco, sure, especially. Yeah, and it's like it's because it's me. impossible. But we we pay for our schools, so that's one thing we don't have to also shell out for private school. Yeah, but here, do you? you don't have to pay property tax, right? Because of the proposition. Is that, right? is that the story? Yeah. I mean, no, you do. It's yeah. like, uh, it's onerous and it's like on our minds all the time. But the, private, like, the, the private school thing, is it, is it on your mind because you feel like public school is egalitarian and, and people should send their kids to public school so they're part of the communal enterprise? Yes. Or because you just don't want to pay the bills? Both. <laughs> yeah. Both. But like, it, it's like, you know, I grew up, I'm a public school kid. Sure. I went to a public school in the Midwest. I walked to my elementary school. I did too. You Look know? at us yeah. being better than them. Yeah. And it's like, but you know, like it's just not an option here and I don't want my kids to have a substandard education. Right. So it's like, it, it stresses on me. So it like, it's a financial stress. Uh, it's also um, like a philosophical right. sticking point. Well, if parents like you, you know, well-educated, well-read, people who sort of engage in the world opt out, right? The more that we all opt out of, of our public enterprises, whatever they are, right. the more that we decide, and I'm not believing, I sent myself, we have good private school, but great public schools. I still send my kid to a fucking friend school. Like, what am I, who am I? But yeah. like, we, uh, I wanted him to have a moment of silence. I want to spend a lot of money on the moment of silence. So we opt out, right? We decide, and this is maybe what, what people instinctively who hate us or who hate liberals like understand, right? That this sort of smug opting out of you, of your life, of your choice of the way you live, right? We're going to live separate from you with people who only agree with us. We are going to take our children out of your schools. We are going to not fly out of your, you know, decrepit, we're not going to go to Branson with you. We're not, we're, we're going to opt out again and again. And we make these choices in, in small and large ways. Right. And I think that when we talk about the great divide and wonder what we did, well, we chose not to, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's so hard. Because but like, are you going to send your kid to a bad school? No. Exactly. That's and exactly is, it. Is, is that the alternative really? I mean, think? pretty much. That's what people, yeah. it's like, you know, like, but it's like hard. It's kind of hard to know, but like you're looking online, like you're looking at the, the rating and like you're reading comments. Right. And, you're like, oh shit! You got to right. make a decision, right? And you got to make a decision in the in the best interest of your kid, and so that's where you're at with it. And you're just like, well, we're going to try to do right by you and make sure that you're. And then getting, do you because that's the most you're supposed to thing. care about your kid more than the collective, right? That's the whole idea. Yeah, and it's also like education is primary for us as parents. Like you want, like that's like one of the big tasks. So then there's a question. Okay. Just cut me off. <laughs> there's the question of. Well, what what is the school the thing that educates your child, or will a, will a smart child with you as a dad probably do well no matter what school he or she goes to? I think there's then, some truth to that. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I've wondered that, and like, look, if we get into the charter school, probably send them. 
that it's a lottery. Right. We enter it every year. Yeah. But it's like everyone's entering it. Sure. Because it's like winning the lottery. Right. Because <laughs> in fact... <laughs> it is like yeah. winning the fucking lottery. And so... You should start brainstorming about how you're going to give away that. Yeah. Right? That's your daydream. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's That's what I mean. That's why I sit around sometimes going like, do we just move to the mountains of Colorado, some small town in like the hills and just, you know, have a simple... Do you like living in LA? I yeah. do. Yeah. I would like living in LA. I was walking around yesterday. I live in New Jersey. It's to go, gross. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking around yesterday to go buy my uh, Mega Millions ticket. Sure. To try to sure, win sure. half a billion dollars. Of course. And I was just walking around. You know, like, and I, I have this experience very frequently. And I'm walking around and I'm seeing the people. And they're also, there's so many different kinds of people and they're also fucking weird. Mm -hmm. And there's so much agony. Mm -hmm. There's like a homeless guy or then there's like a person in a convertible. And there's just like this woman with all this plastic surgery. And then there's a dude like playing his music too loud and he wants people to be looking at him and like, like the sensory constantly. And I'm like, this place is nuts. And I fucking love it. There's some part of me and it's also beautiful. Yes. You know? And so I don't know. I have like a really weird, deep affection for LA and I hope to stay here. I, I don't know where else to go at this yeah. point. I've been here 20 years, but yeah. it's like, what, what brought you here? Uh, graduate school. Yeah. And then you just stayed. And then met my wife and you know, all of a sudden you look up yeah. and it's like, yeah. all this time has gone by, but, um, it's a bizarre place, but it's not a bad place. And it, you know, there's a reason no, in why in many ways it's a great place. Yeah. And there's a reason why there's a lot of people here. It's yeah. not cause it's like fucking awful. Well, so LA and New Jersey don't have some things in common. One of them is that people love to make fun of them, but they're really crowded. Yeah. So yeah. there must be something good, <laughs> exactly. right? Something must be happening there. Yeah. It's really cool. Like, there's 10 million people all like bunched into this place because it sucks. Right. Like I don't get that. It, yeah. Um, but there's also like, you know how like there, I've, I've talked about this before, I think with certain people on the show. Uh, where uh, I think I just actually talked about it with Lynn Tillman. Maybe. Oh, I love her. Where everyone does. Yeah. Everyone does. And, uh, I was like, man, it would be great to live in a place and time where it's like, it's really good. Like cost of living is low. There's lots of artists. There's like a movement happening. Shit's happening. Like, it's very easy to idealize this, you know, but like you're there before it's a thing. Yeah. And then everyone bunches in like, cause like to live in Southern California and like mid, mid 20th century, traffic not a right. huge deal not right. as polluted maybe right. or maybe i guess the pollution More was a, pollu- yeah because like in the 70s it was really bad but uh there was i think a time like the bay area before yeah. like yeah. the tech bros overtook yeah. it the bay area sort of breaks my heart a little bit because san francisco such a beautiful city but like it is kind of ruined it's so i mean it's gone i find san francisco actually deeply unpleasant yeah it's like what's going on there like yeah and it's not like i'm too good for your organic goat cheese i am not yeah i I like it a lot (laughs) but uh i found i found it unpleasant i found the the you know did you live there i've spent more time there than well that's not really true i lived in encino when i was a little girl but um but as an adult i've spent more time there yeah whenever i have a book come out for whatever reason i get sent to San Francisco right away and, uh, which I'm grateful for. And I, yeah. And my brother-in-law lived there for a while. So we'd go visit him. I don't know. San Francisco, like there's a Brooklyn, San Francisco loop and then there's a Brooklyn LA loop and we were on the Brooklyn, San Francisco one. And I just started to find it more and more, less and less appealing. I was gonna say more appalling. It wasn't appalling. It was just less appealing. I, I think it's because people were very curious about whether or not I wanted to live there. And if not, why not? But also because I found the the striking uh, dichotomy, the wealth juxtaposed with the the abject 
I mean, just baroque homelessness. Like the, yeah. the, the, the people I saw who looked, you know, I've lived in cities or around cities my whole life. And in New York, there are homeless people. Philadelphia, there are homeless people. But in San Francisco, these were people who looked like they'd been broken by the world in a way that, that, that shocked me. Uh, well, there's uh, also I saw someone without a nose. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like, woof. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's also like, real, like in Los Angeles, it's gotten over the time that I've lived here a lot worse because there's actually been... Um, you know, laws passed and they make it easier. They make to be it homeless easier. Here. People can pitch a tent from right. sundown to sunrise. That's the law, but they don't really. Pol- how, how do you police that? No, we saw tents everywhere to sunset for breakfast today. Yeah, yeah. So it's do you like, like how I said that walking to sunset? <laughs> Does that sound right? No, because we're walking. You're walking to sunset for breakfast. Yeah. Does yeah. that sound right? That sounds right. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, no, and it's like you know, I don't want to be the guy that's like clean these homeless people up. But it's also like, well, we th- 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 this can't be the end, right? Like, what's the solution to right. this? Right. And yet, I think that like, there's also the Giuliani version of it, where you do just like come in and like just pick them up and like and what ship them out. People in Vegas, uh, homeless people in Vegas, get put on buses and shipped to California because they don't want them on the strip. Oh God. So that sort of stuff happens. There's oh, a lot God. of weird, inhumane things that happen. Um, related to politics and money to homeless populations. And uh, then you have the other side of the coin where I think like the ACLU, I want to say litigated to give these people the ability to, to put a tent up so they could have some shelter, which seems humane. But then it's like, you know, you're living in a city, like can they put up a tent in a, in a residential area? Where can they, can it only be in a business district? Can it be on the sidewalk? Like where people are trying to and go. And also we, why can't we put these people in homes? Right. Well, we're I the mean, richest like, the country in the thing? history of the world. Right. And we got, just, and San Francisco is the richest is, city in the history of cities. Yeah. It's, it's gross. Do you know how much that organic goat cheese? Co- <laughs> right. <laughs> the thing that really killed me on San Francisco was that, uh, I was waiting. I was going to take a ferry. It's so it's heartbreakingly beautiful to visit a friend in Mill Valley. So we're going to take, I was going to take a ferry by myself, uh, from the, 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 Marina, Marina, the the wharf. There's like a market yeah. in, when you wait for the ferry. And I'm walking around, and I want lunch. And I just I'd been spending money, like you know, bleeding money. And I I just I wanted to spend like ten bucks on lunch. And what ten bucks would buy me was a bag, a, a, a nicely wrapped bag of specialty carrots. And <laughs> that's not lunch. So I decided I just didn't like San Francisco that much anymore. It's pain. And you know, here's <laughs> answer me this because like you feel like I feel like you would be somebody who would be able to maybe help me understand. Um, I'm so pissed off about Facebook. Huh. Like there have been a million sins that have been documented on my Twitter feed. Yeah. Over the past you know year and change, but. I have not been as triggered. My anger has not been as triggered by many of them the way that it has when we found out that like Facebook's been collecting all this data. I wasn't pissed until I understood what data, what they meant by that. I mean, like, I was just like, who they, cares if they know I exist? They've collected the Your shit that cell you. cell phone records. You're... The stuff that you wrote and then deleted, they kept. Like, they have all this stuff. Not only that, they're out there buying data about you. Right. And it's like, you know what? Fuck these people. Right. Uh, and, and it, it makes me think, I guess it's, I've been trying to parse it cause it's like, it makes me think about capitalism. It makes me think about like the American value system and how, uh, we sort of conflate anything that's profitable with virtue. Sure. So if it's a profitable, it's great. Right. Oh, it must be good. If it, right. But no, like really it's not. And we need to reevaluate. Um, and, and like Mark Zuckerberg, 
who basically stole the idea. I mean, we, I saw the social network, you right? You know how it happened. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And like, and I remember there's like a text exchange, uh, from back in the day that was screen capped. Yeah. I saw that. That's been floating around where he's like, people are giving me their shit. Okay. They're fucking idiots right. or whatever. Like why? I don't know. Like this yeah. is, this guy, you know, uh, like I had somebody, one of my buddies was like, I'm not that worried about the situation that we're in. Like I just read an article by Bill Gates where he says like the America is improving despite Trump's me first Paul. And I'm like, what the fuck does Bill yeah. Gates know? Yeah. I know yeah. he's a billionaire, but like, yeah. why, like, why yeah. do we create, like we treat these mega capitalists and tech evangelists like they're holy men right. and seers. Right. And it's like, I'm, I'm over that. Right. Like I want wisdom. Right. And like, just because some guy is worth $30 billion or like, you know, is stealing everybody's data. <laughs> it doesn't make him right. right. Like let's, let's pick our heroes wisely. Well, I think that it speaks to the fact that we've always been cogs in the wheel of capitalism in this country, but now we're just sort of been made aware of it that really we're just sort of these, these faceless sources of revenue. And, and so, you know, we're supposed to make money to keep feeding it to the people who are buying it about us. Right. So that I am, I like to think of myself as a sort of like, uh, I'm an actionable human woman I'm a person and I have goals and dreams and, and I want things and I, I, but actually I'm just a collection of information to be bought and sold. And I think that that's, what's so galling about it's this inhumane. is that we, we realize that we're, we are nothing that we are nothing, but a, a source of revenue and that we have to keep churning it out. You know, I read that when Toys R Us went under and they were blaming the fact that there were fewer of us, that, that there just, there was a baby bust and that that's why they couldn't keep up. And I thought to myself, you, you just need more people to keep buying your useless crap. Plastic like that's shit what that's you're polluting horrible, my house. Right. You're horrible fucking shit. And if you've ever tried to buy something in Toys R Us, it's a miserable experience. Right. But also you shouldn't see your customer base is just the sort of I mean I guess that's how but that's that's how it works and if you don't if you, if people are not this renewable source of funding then everybody dies I well guess. and what is the I mean because like capitalism has its virtues I'm not you know, like entirely I think I might be I think I might be like this this I might just be like a come for your guns anti-capitalist I might be Swedish I might no no I, because I, know, I know I'm 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 trying to navigate myself because it is sort of taken as um, a given in America. Capitalism is great. This country's built on capitalism. And it's like, okay. And the system is working very well for a small number of a people. Very, yeah. Extremely well. well. And it, and it has. Us, it's working well enough for us, yeah, I guess. And right? Exactly. And it's like raised living standards. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, there are arguments to be made that can sound convincing to me. But there's also a lot of cruelty built into the system. And I don't think that it is a lost cause or a worthless endeavor to try to soften those hard edges. Right. Like, so how do we make this a little bit more equitable? And like, you start to do that and it's like, you're coming for my money. You're coming. Right. And it's like, you're taking my jobs. You're taking my guns. You yeah. know, it's like that kind of thing. Like there can be no, uh, there can be no, what's the word I'm trying to, to come up with? Like softening or discussion or questioning. Like maybe this isn't the end all be all. Maybe right. there is a way to make it better. Right. Maybe there are other ideas out there that could possibly be better than this. Right. And like, not only that, and I say this as like a American specifically, maybe there are other countries that are doing this better than we are. We can right. learn from them. Right. Like, why don't we go learn from them? And then it's like, well, they're more homogenous than we are. Maybe, you know, they have a smaller population. Maybe, but like, let's, let's look a little bit. Let's look. Why do they have so few gun deaths? 
why are the people consistently vote, you know, being rated the happiest on earth? Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, and it's not let's us. Let's take a page. It's yeah. not us. Yeah. You know? Although, you know, in Sweden, there's been violence recently. Not, I'm not talking about Donald Trump made up violence, like, the, but supposedly, you know, there's been violence against immigrants. And in, uh, in France, they just killed a Holocaust survivor. Oh like, these God. places. And this is like an elderly woman yeah. in France. I mean, these places that uh, we idealize have a couple of key differences from us. The first is they don't pay, you know, we, we, so many of our resources are go to the military and these are not right. So you can pay. For, I'm not saying we can't pay for healthcare. We, for everyone, we should, and we could, and, but it's a lot easier to make that call when you're also not trying to like, you know, hyper militarized. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and unfortunately I think I, I agree with you. So what that they're all homogenous, but that homogeneity, my brother is a transplant surgeon in Wisconsin, which oh, the reason we, we that talked was, about him the first time we talked. Did, yeah. Yeah. So now he's done with that. But the reason that, uh, the, the Wisconsin program, uh, transplant program is so successful is that people in Wisconsin tend to be donors more than anyone else. Why do they tend to be donors? Because they think they're donating to other white people. And if you tell people in Wisconsin that actually their organs or some, their loved ones organs might be going to Illinois, that means Chicago, Chicago means black people and they're less likely to say yes. Wow. So that, that, that idea that we take care of our own, I think is really, um, much more motivating than we want to think it is. Right. And I think that that's what speaks to a lot of what's happening in the world right now. You know, the Fox news thing is like, we're taking care of our own. We're taking care of the people who think like us, look like us, act like us. And when we, you and I come and impose like, no, you have to take these people from another country that don't look like you, act like you, eat like you, think like you. And also you have to part with your hard won money to help support them. People get fucking mad. Yeah. They get really mad yeah. and they make social policy decisions based on that anger. Right. What's the, what's it, what's going to happen? It's going to get better. It is. Yeah. Cause our, yeah. Cause it has gonna, to, what's going to yeah. be one way or the other. It's either that or, or the annihilation. The but I, I, Oh yeah. The Trump thing. I think the Trump thing, which is the worst thing and which made me ask my husband if we need to like buy a gun, like with enough <laughs> bullets to like avoid a road, like Cormac McCarthy situation yeah, where like yeah. it gets that bad. We can shoot all of us. Right. We don't have like one bullet. <laughs> so if we do, I get it. But I, I, uh, I, I think Trump had to happen because he had to usher in this awakening. I don't know if Parkland would have happened if, if we all would be, uh, paying as much attention doing the, you know, Obama was lovely, but he did make us feel like things were going to be okay. Well, and I think too, I've said this before, you know, Obama always liked to talk about the fever breaking and he was wrong. The fever didn't break after right. 2012. No. You know, when Romney lost, he thought, well, then the fever is going to no. break. No. Oh God, no. The fever spiked. Right. And now we've seen the fever get to, uh, right. It's like terminal terminal. And it's like, okay, now people are at the breaking point and I hope I mean, can it get any higher than this? No, I think that finally you and I and everyone we know is not just going to vote in 2018. They're going to start, act, you know, actively canvassing. I, I, my, I, I went to a fundraiser for a congressman running in Arkansas that was held in Los Angeles. Right. Like that sort of shit I would not have been doing two years ago. Right. Obama made us feel like it was going to be okay. Even though I remember sitting in San Francisco on book tour when the Republicans were shutting down the government thinking these these nutter butters have to get the fuck off the stage. If Hillary had won, not only would they not be off the stage, they would be whipping, 
you know, it, half this country into some sort of like impeachment hysteria. Right. It would have been. And, and Trump, Trump would have been on Fox News every day right. saying that the election was rigged right. and that, the, you know, it would have been hideous and grueling. Now, this what we're living through is hideous and grueling. But because, you know, there's always, I think, more energy in the opposition because we are now the opposition and there are more of us right. and we're smarter. I'm sorry. We're just and we, we might not be as well organized yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. And we're wealthier. And we I just refuse to believe because the other if 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 the people who think like us don't get motivated and don't act, then then the idea of, of representative democracy is over because currently we're not census, living in the census bullshit. If this goes through that, that'll fuck right. up the democracy for we're not living in a representative democracy. If we were, then Wyoming and Montana, all these places would share like two congressmen. Right. The fact that my voting power in New Jersey and yours in Los Angeles is a fraction of of what it would be if we lived in one of these underpopulated states, if we lived in South Dakota, is is already unfair. And we're just used to taking it as 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 people who, with our ideas, we're just used to, to accepting that most of the country doesn't think that way. But I think that's wrong. I think the, most of the country does think like us. It's just that there are more of us, you know, congregated in one place. Fine. We still have a lot of power in our words, in our deeds, in our money, in our education, in our ability to rally. And my Twitter feed. And your fucking Twitter <laughs> feed, which I want to say one thing about, which is that okay. I don't know why, I don't know what your connection to Matthew Celestis is, um, but he was a guest of ours at Rutgers. He spoke to me really uh, personally and movingly about the issue of inter- international adoption. I found him to be delightful, and the fact that you took up his cause, uh, you know, brought me to to tears with gratitude. I've just been handing over some money now and then my son wears his other people t-shirt. I, I, I don't know if he's a friend of yours or, or he whatever was just you a did. guest on the show. And but I, just, I was... just, I just, I'm so grateful that, cause that's the small stuff that matters. Well, and it's like, you know, he's in a tough spot. He's you know, in the he, worst spot. He's living your novel basically, yeah. you know, his family with his wife's cancer. And so it's just like, I get very affected, um, by think, you know, family stuff, uh, illness, but also just like somebody from the community and like, it's a go fund and, and like, it's also political cause it's like healthcare, right? They got to do a fucking go fund me to get cancer. You, to move to Korea. That's such, you know, so that is to me, it was just like, okay, I've had enough. Yeah. I'm selling some t-shirts. We're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it was a, it was a pleasure to do. I'm yeah. Glad I, and also Roxanne Gay yeah. uh, offered matching funds, yeah. which like pushed the thing, yeah. um, you know, over. So, you know, she deserves a ton of credit, but it was easy. But, you know. but so, so I, I think I, I hang my head a lot, especially when I feel sort of out yelled at by people with opposing views. But the truth is that, that progressives or liberal or people who think Sweden has some good ideas are also good people and we're capable of doing good things. I just, you know, I, I have a, a, a nine-year-old and two-year-old, you have a seven-year-old and two-year-old what are our choices, right? To just sort of say, well, the world's sorry <laughs> yeah. we left you this or to yeah. try to make it better. Our, our only option is to try to make it better. That's right. That's what we're going to do. That's right. Uh, where are you spiritually before I let you go? <laughs> oh, so last night was the first night of Passover. So I spent it on a plane from JFK to LA. <laughs> so that's where you are. So that's where I am. 35,000 feet. I, but how do you make, cause I think that that has to be a component of how people make sense of life, especially in hard times or in stressful times. So I often ask my guests like, but I'm curious to know, like you seem like somebody who is strong of spirit. Um, do you have like a, like a strong faith or do you have none? None. No, I have no, no faith in anything supernatural. I'm not, I don't believe in, in that kind of God. I do believe very strongly though in the miracle that is, 
life, which is that if you want to believe in immortality, which we all sort of do, then we can think in about immortality, immortality, right? That, that life that we're not going to die or that life will go on forever. Well, we carry the DNA within us. We carry the sort of eternal DNA and some of us will pass it on. And, and so I do sort of believe that life was constructed miraculously, if not, but not supernaturally. I just think that this is what it is and it's amazing. And, um, I think that I have been blessed beyond measure again, not supernaturally just because those are where the, my chips fell. Uh, and it is my responsibility and my great pleasure to give back where I can as often as I can in as many ways as I can. And that can be anything from doing someone a solid by picking up their kid if they're sick to trying to rally for a, a sick acquaintance to organizing for what I think of as a better politics for our country, you know, to, to like waking up with my daughter cause my son, my husband's been doing it all week. And I think, guess where I am spiritually is simply like doing my best as a sort of nervous, bitter person to be <laughs> like kind. It, but you know, I was just going to say, just be kind. Yeah. Like make it simple. Yeah. Just be kind. Yeah. Why is it so fucking hard? Sometimes I find myself. We do not get a lot of sleep. I hold my, <laughs> <laughs> I hold myself to a high standard and, uh, I fall short of it so often but then you recognize that you fall short every, but it's exhausting. It's like every day oh, I've did it again. Fuck, yeah. I lost my temper. Oh my God. Uh -huh. didn't, you know, and it's just like, uh -huh. Oh, well, you're a human animal. I'm a human so animal. That's, that's rough. That's too bad. Yeah. But you, you're also like a nice, thoughtful, generous person. And you recognize that, which is of course why you hold yourself to a higher standard. Cause you actually recognize I'm trying. I want to do life. I want to do life. Well, before, right. before I check out, you know? right. <laughs> like, let's try to get some handle right. on this. You're not getting ready for something else. This right. is it. This is it. You're probably not moving to that wooded place with the streams. If and I win neighbors. the mega millions, if I win Powerball tonight, fuck that. Then you can turn LA into your wooded stream yeah. place. No. You just buy a place somewhere. You have the tutors come to you. No, we'll, we'll chopper them in. We chopper it. Chopper them in. <laughs> chopper them in. Uh, it's such a pleasure to see you in person for the first time. I know. I, I, I have know. seen her picture. Uh, yeah. But I mean, to actually hang, I yeah. appreciate you making time during your stay in LA yeah. and uh, congratulations on the book. And I just wish you well. Thank you. Okay, guys, there you go. That is Lauren Grodstein. Her novel is called Our Short History, out there now from Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Lauren Grodstein, Our Short History. Get your copy now. You can find her online at laurengrodstein.com, and you can follow her on Twitter. Her handle over there is at Lauren Grodstein. She's also on Facebook. Thank you to uh, Cigarette Royalty for the interstitial music that you're hearing currently. Uh, you want to hear something funny? I think the name of this song... Yeah, it is. The name of this song that you're uh, listening to right now is called Sequins in Your Toilet. Just thought I would share that with you. Thanks to Kill Rockstars and the band Stereo Total for the theme song music. If you would like to get the Other People app, that is free. Get it wherever you get your apps. If you would like to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. If you would like to support the show, it's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. So, uh, just great to catch up with Lauren. She's so fun to talk with. Just a fun person to have around. And uh, 
Her book is terrific. I feel a little bit self-conscious about my uh, CBD fail. Just trying to do the wise thing. Trying to find like a gentle sleep aid that's plant-based. And what is it, where does it lead me to? It leads me to uh, humiliation. There's so much of that in life, is there not? Where you try to do the right thing. Or, you, you know, you're trying hard. You're like, what, what's the, let me try to do something uh, smart, wise. Try to think this through. And then you do it, and what happens? You know what happens. I know what happens. Okay.